before I uh, look at the Word of God, just want to uh, let people know, I, I forgot that the folk on Zoom wouldn't be able to see this notice that I put up, so I'm going to read out the Zoom address if you want to be involved in the um, <clears throat> in the Zoom prayer tonight. So we're going off this one, what are we doing? Is it working? Okay. Um, so the last word for the Zoom tonight, if you want to do that, is 548 086 4381. Say that again. The Zoom room is 548 086 4381 and the password is 0000. So I'll have those up the back there uh, for folk if you want to join in with that prayer time tonight. Just going to turn this one off, Mark. Great. So last week was interesting having Jason Elms share with us via video. Ah, thank you, Cheryl. She reminded me. One more item. Folks, we're going to spend a moment praying. If you hadn't received the text prayer message this week, you wouldn't know that um, Leanne Crowther's mum passed away this week. So let's pray for her and her family right now. Father, we ask in only a way that you can that you'll bring comfort and peace to Leanne, to her brother, to her dad and the wider family as well. Thank you, Lord, for this past week when uh, she was able to spend some time with her mom and, and revisit the uh, good memories of the past. We pray, Lord, that they will be uh, fixed in her mind in the days ahead. And we ask, Lord, that you will be her comfort. We thank you that she loves you. Thank you that, Lord, your spirit's in her. And we pray that this week there will be no doubt at all that she is comforted by your arms that are wrapped around her. And we pray the same for her family, Lord, that they'll... Uh, see something of the peace that's in Leanne's mind, in, in her life, and they'll draw on that as well. So we lift them before you today. Lord, as we open your word, we pray that you'll uh, remind us of something that we may have heard before, a truth that we should know and should, should uh, practice, or perhaps it's something new, Father, that you want to teach us today. We ask that we'll be open to what you have to say to our hearts and minds. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As I was saying last week, Jason shared with us some of his passion, uh, his excitement at calling people in the churches, uh, the Baptist churches in Queensland to pray for 20 days, uh, revival, both personal, and that's certainly been the focus of the um, devotions this last week, and, and then wider for the community. And so we're looking at that today. We're looking at how we intercede in prayer. How do we pray? in prayer for one another, for our community. And I trust that you might have some hooks to hang some things on today as we look through the scriptures together in this time. Jesus teaches his followers, and we saw that last week, to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Do you know that was, that was an essential part of the life of the early church? They were a church that was based on prayer. They were gathered to pray regularly. They were gathered to talk about Jesus' teachings. They were gathered to about the fulfilment of the uh, prophecies in, in, the, in the scriptures that they had, what we know as the Old Testament. They lived this life of prayer as well as their Christian walk day by day. And the good news continued to spread into places where Jesus hadn't been. In his three years of ministry, the good news of Jesus continued to spread. People were being prayed for and healed. People were 
hungry were being fed. Those that were uh, poor, the good news was given to them and their lives were changed around. The kingdom of God in that early church had broken into the world and God was doing amazing things. I would be happy to be a part of the church. What about you? But sadly, not everybody in the community was happy that this was happening. Herod Agrippa, he was the Roman ruler of the day in Judea. He was not a happy king. Because this minority called the way, pit followers of the way, was growing in popularity, was growing in respect, was having a significant influence in the communities. He was not happy about it because he was sensing a loss of his own power. So he chose to do something about it. We're going to be looking at Acts chapter 12 today. So if you've got Bibles there, turn to Acts chapter 12. The thing about Agrippa was he was a king and he loved his power. He was a powerful king appointed by Rome and he loved his power. And the way he kept peace at that time was to oppress any minority in his region so that, so that anybody who was against him, he got rid of. That was his style. That was the way he... He did not like the spirit of the gospel. He did not like the church. He did not like seeing the kingdom of God breaking into his little kingdom. So he decided to do something about it. Reading from Acts chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, and this is what it says. Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. In fact, he had his head chopped off. This small fledgling church, one of their key leaders, James, the brother of John, arrested and executed. That would have been a bit of a trying time for the church, don't you think? How could God let this happen? Those questions would have been asked. But King Herod not only killed James, but he locked up a bunch of people from that church. He was not a good king. And the church was devastated by the loss. I think we would be too. If I had a situation, would I continue to stick my head up as a leader in the church or would I pass the mic on to somebody else? I hope that I would not have been tempted to pass the mic onto somebody else. Verse 3. When he saw, Herod, when he saw that this pleased the Jews, and remember this is the religious Jews that were pleased, that the minority church was being uh, oppressed, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. And after arresting him, he put him in prison handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. Luke's trying to give us a picture here, a contrasting picture between the powerful King Herod and, as it were, the powerless group of Christians. What could they do about it? They didn't have the army. They didn't have the muscle that Herod had. 
What could they do? Everybody knew what was going to happen next. They'd seen it happen with James. What was their expectation? That Peter would probably be killed as well. Herod was making sure that nothing was going to deter his plan. I wonder if he had heard of Peter's previous miraculous escapes from prison when he walked out the gate. I wonder if he wanted to deter that. So he had 16 soldiers, four shifts, and, and two of them would have been chained to Peter, two would have been standing watch. That's how much he wanted this, his plan to be fulfilled. So Luke is contrasting the power of Herod with this little group called the church. Did they have any military power? No. Did they have any weapons? No. They have no political sway. They are a minority. The only power that they have is what? To pray. The only power they have is to pray. I've just been reading a book this last couple of weeks when people pray. And this chap made a statement. He said, there is no power in prayer. The power is in the one that you're praying to. When we pray, we can mouth the words, but who we're praying to has the power to act. The power was in the one that they were praying to, their Heavenly Father. Luke records that they are earnestly praying. What does this mean? It's earnestly praying. We don't use that word earnest much these days. But it's the same Greek word that Luke uses when he records Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. Just like we heard last week, Father, if it's possible, take this cup from me. Jesus was praying earnestly, so much so that the blood was flowing from his head as he was intensely in prayer, crying out to his Father. The church of that day was praying earnestly, fervently, passionately, unceasingly for those that had been captured and imprisoned. Now, I don't know if we fully understand the earnest prayers aspect. There are earnest prayers and then then there are prayers that you pray when you're looking for a parking spot at the shops. Or there's, uh, there's earnest prayers and there's prayers that you pray when you're a sick pet at the home group or something like that, you know. How would you pray if Pastor Jeff or Pastor John were imprisoned for our faith? It would be different to praying for a parking spot, wouldn't it? Well, that's what these people were doing. They were praying for Peter, even though the possibility might be the same as James, when he would be beheaded. They were praying earnestly, passionately, unceasingly. I want to ask you a question. What is it that you're praying earnestly for today or at this time in your life? What is it that you're praying earnestly for? Passionately, unceasingly. Prayer is personal. Prayer is praise. Prayer is also intercession. It's that coming before God to seek his will and to ask that his will be done. 
is praying on behalf of somebody else, somebody who has a need or perhaps they're suffering in some way. It's that prayer which asks God to intervene in power in that person's life, for his will to be done, for his kingdom to come on earth in this broken world. This is the prayer of intercession. This is the prayer of asking God to intervene on somebody else's behalf. This is earnest prayer. And for earnest prayer, two things have to happen. First, you you have to care about the person that you're praying about. You have to care about that person. And then you must believe that God cares about them too. If those criteria are met, then you're able to pray earnestly. You're not indifferent to their need. You're not, you're not, you, you don't believe that God is indifferent to their need. If you believe that, then you'll not pray earnestly. So I wonder who God is putting in your heart to pray for earnestly today. Someone that you know. Someone that you know God cares about. Acts chapter 12, verse 6. The prayer in that early church, the people were praying earnestly for Peter, for his release. Verse 6 says in chapter 12, The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. So two soldiers chained to him and two at the entrance. Verse 7, Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Sounds like a movie, doesn't it? Amazing. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals. And Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told you. Have you ever wondered about that story? Have you ever put yourself in that situation and thought, what is going on here? I don't know about you, but uh, when I think of Peter sleeping there, it says the angel said to him, get up and put your clothes on. Now, either he was wearing his undergarments or he was naked and um, chained to two soldiers. Now, I don't know that I'd get to sleep. But he was sound asleep to the point where the angel had to poke him and say, wake up. So was that a, a peaceful sleep? Was that a restful sleep? Was that a God-ordained sleep? I think so. In the circumstances that he was in, chained to two soldiers, with two soldiers guarding him there, the first message he hears from that angel is, get up and get dressed. Let alone the fact that they didn't have electricity in those days. And this light shone in the cell. To me, that would have freaked me out, first of all. And I've asked, I've read this passage a number of times and I thought, what were the soldiers doing? Were they asleep? Or did they not know what was happening? Were they oblivious to it? I don't have the answers to that and I don't think the Bible tells us either. But somehow God in a miraculous way made the chains fall off and the angel led Peter out of the prison. Just amazing, amazing. Did he do this because people were praying earnestly? I suspect the answer is yes. Did they ask God to do this? Did they say, God, send your angel and wake him up? No. I guess they were asking that God would protect Peter and free him. 
How God chose to do that was up to God. An incredible picture. Peter has no other power. He's defenceless. He's powerless. The only power he has working for him is the power of God as people pray on his behalf. There may be people in your family, in your contact base, that need us to pray that somehow God will break into their situation. We don't know how he's going to do it. But if he puts that burden on your heart and mind to pray for someone earnestly, do it. Maybe we'll hear the story. Maybe we won't of how God has worked. You see, Herod is, is getting insecure about his power. So he's, he's beefed up the protection. He's beefed up the protection on Peter. And, and it was the night before he was due to go to trial and probably be executed. Have you ever noticed how God leaves prayer unanswered until the 11th hour sometimes? Or maybe the minute to midnight? You ever experienced that? You've been praying for something or someone, no sense of an answer. And just before the deadline, God answers. This is one of those occasions for Peter. God wants us to pray not only earnestly, but he wants us to pray endlessly as well. I don't know about you, but there's been people that I've been praying for for 30 years in my life. And you know, sometimes I give up. Sometimes I stop praying for them until God reminds me again that he wants me to pray endlessly for those people. The answer may come after I die. God may be saying, not yet, But he wants us to pray endlessly, to pray earnestly, to pray endlessly. He wants us to pray with complete dependence on him and that his will will be done. Maybe there's a prayer that you have given up on too soon and God's saying to you today, start praying that prayer again. Be persistent in prayer until you see God answer. Chapter 12, verse 9 says this. Peter followed him, that's the angel, out of the prison, but he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. Can you imagine Peter's situation? Can you put yourself in Peter's shoes? It would seem like a dream, wouldn't it? You know? And uh, an amazing experience. He's in prison. He's about to die, but he's sound asleep. The angel appears. Have you ever had one of those dreams that have felt so real that you, you, wait, you think, am I awake or am I not? Is this happening or is this not? And, and I've had some of those dreams where I know it's not real. But there's other dreams that I've woken up expecting to see or I've just dreamt about. It's like um, dreaming that you just hit the winning six so that the Australians would win the World Cup of Cricket again. Or it could be dreaming about the Dodge Ram 1500 Express that your loving wife has just bought you and it's sitting in the driveway. So when you get out of bed, you run down the driveway and you see your classic Colorado sitting there. I suspect Peter was saying, not about cars, but he was saying, could this be happening to me? Is this a dream? 
Is it real? I can imagine Peter saying that. But then verse 10 goes on to say, Then they passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself, and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself. He woke up and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were anticipating. He woke up without a doubt. He knew that God had saved him from the prison and the consequences of that prison. His chains fell off. The gates opened miraculously. No one stopped him as he walked through the jail. Has that been your experience? That God has done something amazing for you? It's felt like a dream, but it's been the truth and reality. Charles Wesley, one of the hymn writers uh, in in the past uh, centuries, wrote this hymn. Hopefully you'll be able to see it. If not, I'll read it. You may know it well. And it's based on this chapter, or part of this chapter in verse 12. Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke. The dungeon flame with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth and followed thee. And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Saviour's blood? Died he for me who caused his pain, for me who him to death pursued. Amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? Is God really that good? Yes, he is. That he would die on a cross to set me free from the power of sin? Yes, he is. The chains of sin have fallen off to everyone who puts their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul wrote in Romans, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? He's given us life. He's given us eternal life. This is the God that we know. Some of us today need a fresh revelation of God's goodness to us. Some of us today have never accepted the fact that God loved us so much that he sent his son to the cross, just as we've remembered in our communion time. God wants to break into people's lives, into this broken world, and show them how much he loves them how much they mean to him. Peter was surprised. I'd be surprised too. He was surprised that God had freed him from that prison. But he wasn't the only one that was surprised. Chapter 12, verse 12 reads this. When this had dawned on him, Peter, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance and a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognised Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. You're out of your mind, they said. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said, it must be his angel. What were they praying for? What were they praying for? They were praying that Peter would be released from prison. And now he was, and they didn't believe it. Does that happen to us sometimes? What are we praying for? 
God, in his wisdom, either at minute to midnight or out of left field, however he does it, he answers our prayer and we just don't see it. You're out of your mind. They're astonished, they said. Do you see yourself in this story? Sometimes we're praying because it's the right thing to do, but we're anticipating the worst. I love this story because there's different people mentioned in it. There's Mary, the owner of the house, mother of John, or John Mark. She was a wealthy woman. She had a house that had a front entry. Not, mo- not many people had that. She had a big home where many people can gather. Many have suggested this might be the upper room where the disciples prayed before Pentecost. Then there was Rhoda. Rhoda was a servant. She doesn't have wealth or influence. She's a servant in the Roman Empire. It also says there were many unnamed people there that night. Do you know, God is no respecter of persons when we pray. We could be wealthy, we could be poor, we could be um, unemployed, we could be uh, employed, we could be anyone. And he listens to us when we pray, when we intercede on behalf of others. What did Jesus say? In Matthew 18, 19 and 20 says, Again, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three come together in my name, there I am with them. God listens. The church, our church, is a big messy group of people called by God. Do you agree? Thankfully, we're not all the same. That would be boring. There are wealthy people, there are poor people, young people, older people, people that stand on stages, people that at times may feel insignificant, all sorts of people. And the blessing that God commands is that we pray together. It's exciting to hear that other churches throughout our state and in our region are praying together whether it be in the small groups at home, whether they they have special prayer times, whether they're praying together on Zoom. But they're praying together for these 21 days that God would revive his church in Queensland. There's a unity factor in that, isn't there? I want to encourage you to pray together in unity whenever you have the opportunity to, whether it's face-to-face, whether it's online or whatever. Pray together in unity. Because somehow, God breaks in the, into the world when we do that. Last thing this morning, I pray that we won't be like the people in that room that we're praying. I pray that we will pray expectantly. We will pray expectantly. That we won't be, or maybe we will be surprised, but we'll be pleasantly surprised by how God answers prayer. They weren't expecting anything good to happen. In fact, they're probably thinking that Peter would end up the same way as James. I wonder, when we pray, are we just mouthing the words or are we praying earnestly? Are we praying expectantly that God is going to do something? King Agrippa, the most powerful man on earth in that place, he was up against this little insignificant group called the church who prayed. But when they prayed, God moved powerfully. What does that encourage us? God moved sovereignly. 
We don't understand why he didn't move in the same way in James's life. We don't understand that. The Bible doesn't give us any indication of that. But we see without a doubt that the king on the earth is no match for the king of kings. The king on the earth is no match for the king of kings. There's only one sovereign king that we recognize, and that's the Lord Jesus. And we pray, your kingdom come, Lord. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. His kingdom gets established in our hearts, and as we surrender to his will and are obedient to what he tells us, his kingdom gets established around about us. I want to remind us today, as we finish, that we have a good king. When you surrender to him, you surrender to a good king. He humbled himself to death on a cross to break every chain of sin that held you captive. Romans 14.7 says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. An earthly kingdom is based on rules. The kingdom of God is based on relationship, righteousness, joy, peace. Last few verses and then we'll finish. On the appointed day, verse 21 in Acts 12, on the appointed day, Herod, wearing his royal robe, sat on his throne and delivered a public address to the people. They shouted, this is the voice of God, not a man. Immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down and he was eaten by worms and died. This is recorded in history books, not just in the Bible, but in history books. Herod was a king who had power for a while, but he died. He was eaten by worms. He tried to use his power to restrict the power of God and the gospel of God. But ultimately, God broke into the world and Herod did not succeed. His power could not match the power of prayer, the power of God. And the final verse said, but the word of God continued to increase and spread. Jesus is a good king. Jesus is a powerful king. Jesus is an eternal king. And he wants us to pray. He wants us to pray earnestly, endlessly, in unity. He wants us to pray that we might see his kingdom come. He wants us to pray expectantly. Can I encourage you in the coming days of this week and the next couple of weeks to keep on praying that way, that God will bring revival to your life and to the life of people around about you, that he will bring revival to the church and that we will see him break into the world in greater ways. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for the miraculous story. Thank you for the people who prayed and the lessons they learned. Thank you that we see your hand at work. Help us to pray earnestly, unceasingly, in unity and expectantly. Help us to rejoice, Father, and to proclaim praise to you when we see the way you answer prayers. We want to be a church and a people that honours you. In this place, in this community, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Sean.